He's being really quiet to realize just how what a big mistake this was to come on this show. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 51 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel we have Ward Bell. Hello. Lucas Rubelke. Hello. Joe Eames. Hey everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. And we've got a special guest this week, and that's Taro Parvianen. Nailed it. Nailed it. Do <laughs> 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 you want to introduce yourself, Taro? Sure. Yeah, so I'm a programmer based in, in Helsinki, Finland. Uh, I've done like a bunch of web full-stack development over the years, like I have background in, in Java and, and Ruby and, and Clojure, but for the past, say, couple of years, I've, I've pretty much kind of specialized in, in front-end development and doing web applications for as an independent contractor for different companies here in Helsinki. And, and I've mostly been doing that with Angular. And as part of that story, I've also kind of started writing a bunch of things about, about Angular. So I've written some articles and, and I'm also in the process of writing a book about, about Angular called Build Your Own Angular. And as part of that, I've, I've kind of gotten to know the sort of internals of, of that framework in depth, in, in kind of much more depth than I really ever wanted to. But that's where I am, I am at the moment. All so right. So, Taro, if you don't mind, this is what I would like to know is... Uh-huh. How did you actually get into just digging into the Angular source code? And what was your first and immediate reaction within the first 30 seconds of seeing it? The reason I kind of went into it is as I started using Angular and people were saying that it's really difficult to learn and there's like a bunch of magic in it, all the change detection stuff and the directives and things like that. And I always feel like very un- uncomfortable using APIs and, and frameworks and libraries that I don't understand fully. Like I've had this experience with a bunch of different things in the past. Like there are parts of Ruby on Rails, for example, which I, I used for, for years that I still don't quite know how they work. And it's not nice to, to use APIs like that because you always have this feeling that you probably could do that whatever you're doing better in, in a more idiomatic way or a more concise way or, or whatever, if you only knew how to do that. And it seemed like with Angular, there was a big chance of that happening again because people were saying that it was difficult and the, the documentation wasn't there and things like that. So, so what I started to do is, is I started to explore the source code. And I actually started from the, the scopes and the change detection system because that was something I hadn't really been in any of the frameworks I'd, I'd used before. So I wanted to know how that works and sort of demystify it for myself. 
and and then I ended up writing an article about that and then the book. So yeah, first thirty seconds I can't really remember. Maybe it's it's something I wiped from my mind because it was a shock or something. But um, I think one of the first things that came to my mind was that there's a, there was a lot of code, like there's just a wall of code, because the Angular One code base is is written. So that there's not a huge amount of files in it, but there are very large files in it. And when you open up one of them, it's just, you know, it's daunting to look at something like rootscope.js or compile.js when there are more than a thousand lines of code in there. But uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I actually started to learn it in the strategy that I picked, which was to actually reverse engineer it, to write it, write my own version of it. Uh, like a clone of it and and kind of force myself to learn from the first principles what's going on there instead of trying to to approach the existing code like as as a, as a monolith and, and try to understand that so we we've, we've got you here to talk about the compiler mm-hmm. which I, i'll admit i had to go look up because <laughs> right. i just took for granted that directives work i guess yeah. And so the compiler is the thing that goes through the HTML code and identifies the directives you have in there and then makes them work? Exactly. So so the compiler is the sort of internal Angular facility that makes it possible for us to use directive and directives. And what it does, it yeah, it goes through the whole HTML DOM tree that you have in your, your host page and, and in your templates and finds all the directives that match and applies them to those elements and while doing that, it also kind of goes over all the directive definition objects that you have, the, all the configuration options that you have there that have to do with linking and scope creation and scope bindings and attribute access and controllers and templates and transclusion. All these different features are all things that are implemented by the compiler. So everything that you can do with directive really is things that are driven by the directive compiler. So I have to ask, you know, I, I came at Angular as kind of a, I want to just make it work. Um, mm-hmm. What are the advantages to me to actually understanding the compiler as opposed to just taking for granted that the directives will do what I want them to? So to me, at least, it was that the directive API itself is, is so difficult to understand. Like, it's, it's a very big API. Mm-hmm with, I think, 15 different configuration options and who knows how many combinations of those options that you can have. And uh, I think what, what happens with, with most people, at least what happened with me initially, was that you end up learning a sort of subset of that API, that you don't ever bother kind of learning everything about it. And then you just use that subset, like you know that there's a link function that you can have and you can do things in there. And uh, that's fine, you know, if you can get your problem solved like that, it's, it's great. But but what I tend to see happening is that people end up doing things in their directives that they could do much more, accomplished much more easily, easily by using more of the directive API. They end up doing some DOM manipulation that you could replace with, with transclusion or, or, or something like that. And uh, I just wasn't able to pick up all the kind of nuances of that API from the API and the documentation itself. And I kind of just wanted to understand a little bit more about what goes on inside because that's kind of the ultimate documentation is the source code itself. May I back up a little bit just to tell you, because uh, I mean, we have a, a, a wide audience of Angular folks. And so I'm going to tell you, the way I came to Angular, I don't think I wrote a directive 
for at least two months. I was very happy with uh, sort of developing an Angular, and I saw that the directive was sitting out there and that the API was, well, let's just say it was bizarre. But it didn't trouble me because I came equipped with enough directives to to make it useful, and I didn't actually write a directive for a very long time. Is my experience unusual in that respect? And why is it that when I read about people talking about Angular, like the thing they go for is directives, and the thing that they think is hard is directives, whereas it's to me it's like, why is that? Why is everybody obsessing about directives? So tell me, what's crazy about my experience or not, and what's the big deal about directives? So in my opinion, it's not crazy at all because that's at least because that's my experience as well. So I started using just ng controller and controllers because I knew what controllers were coming from some backbone or something like that. And I thought that directives were this thing that you use for special purposes when you need to do something to extend HTML, that you just write your app using controllers. And that's what I did for a good while. But it, it sort of started to shift at some point when I started thinking that you could actually get a lot more mileage out of this idea that you can extend HTML by sort of coming up with your own elements and attributes that you wish existed in HTML, but don't. And directives are the way to do that. And I think that's actually pretty much the kind of original idea of Angular back from five or six years ago, which was to have this sort of HTML DSL for applications. And uh, at some point, it seems that it, it was kind of was wasn't really being used like that by the community. We just used controllers and, and kind of treated it as, as sort of like an MVC framework. But then, for myself, and I think more generally in the community, directives have people have started to use them in more scenarios in the past year or so, especially when after the material about Angular 2 has, has been started, starting to come out where directives have a much more central role in, in, in terms of components. And, and I think that's where Angular itself and the community seems to be going at the moment, not using bare controllers as much as having, having directives for pretty much everything. Well, so, so I, I want to ask you a little bit about that because that is a dramatic move and, and the, the whole directives language, as we all agree, is so much harder. So somebody sort of approaching their own application. I mean, I've seen that shift too. Like instead of ever writing, now, now people are saying, never write a controller, always put in a directive. I'm probably oversimplifying that. But what's the criteria by which you think somebody approaching their application should say, you know, that's the right place for the MVC style, for the controller style. Mm-hmm. And that over there, that problem set is the right kind of target for thinking about the directive style. I mean, first of all, do you see it that way? Do you see that kind of uh, uh, developer being confronted with that kind of decision? Mm-hmm. And if so, how would you guide them? What I've tended to do recently is, is not treat this as, as a uh, two different kind of uh, ways to do it, but actually combine those two by actually still using controllers, by having each controller paired with a directive, which is pretty much essentially what, what components in Angular 2 will, will be like, where I still have a controller, but, but it's, it always comes with a directive that's applied to some element. And, and the big reason or the big kind of good thing about that is that you can have directives with isolate scopes that's at least for me the kind of big difference whereas with ng controller or controllers without directives uh, always share this kind of 
surrounding scope and have this prototypical in scope inheritance going on. And that causes a lot of uh, confusion for a lot of people with all the attribute shadowing that goes on. And more generally with the fact that all the state on the scopes is being shared between all these different controllers in a did, way that's not controlled in any way. Didn't but that go away with the controller as uh, pattern? With the controller as pattern, you're really insulated from the outside scope, right? Well, yeah, but by convention, yeah, if, if you just, uh, from your expressions, you can see which controller things come from, but they're still there. You can still access them by aliasing controllers. So so they're not they're still there, but, but with isolate scopes, you actually have, they just won't be there. So you have to like true encapsulation where the data is just not going to be on the scope. So it's kind of a stronger guarantees about uh, modularity there. Okay, and uh, but all the routing systems like the UI router and the new router and all that other stuff are thinking in terms of, again, of controllers rather than directives. So how, how do yep. you kind of cross that boundary? So what I usually do is for each route, I tend to have like one controller which receives any data from the route that it needs. But all it really does is, is uh, have a template that instantiate one root component for that view. And then everything else from, from downwards from that is, is all components. I think that with the new router that's coming out, it's actually going to change a bit since you're supposed to be able to have routes that route directly to component instances, right? So even that kind of bridging is, is won't be needed anymore. I'm not sure if that's that's going to be the case for Angular one, but at least for two, that's going to be the case. I think. Yeah, that that sounds uh, sounds right for Angular two. Okay, so that helps position me controller versus directive and where your thinking is. Now, now I'm more comfortable having you say, okay, folks, now that I'm just steering you towards directive, here's what you need to know. <laughs> and, and so, what do we need to know? Well, yeah, there are quite a lot of things to know about the directive API since you can do anything really with it and, and because the API is so huge. But one thing at least is that for the use case we were just talking about for components, there are really, I think, three or four options that you need to kind of understand. One is that when you make a sort of component directive, you, you have the scope attribute on the directive definition object with which you can define this isolate scope. And you kind of want to understand how, how those work and how you can pass things into a component directive from outside and how those bindings behave when, when things change over time. And, and then you want to know how, how templates work and how you can have these directives that actually provide their own internal HTML. And optionally, you might want to know about how transclusion work, works and how you can actually pass in pieces of HTML from outside to that component and finally, you want to understand how, how controllers integrate with directives and, and, and that you can have this controller attribute on your directive definition object that gets paired with the directives and in which you then have the actual logic of, of that component. And those, I think, yeah, I came up with three or four attributes in total that I think component directives should have and that, that you can get a lot of mileage out of those. For, for those of our audience who gag on the very word transclusion, can mm. you translate that into the very simplest finish that you? <laughs> <laughs> no. How, how would you how would you tell somebody uh, what transclusion is without ever saying using the word transclusion? It's actually, I, in my view, something mm. that people would recognize as something that they would want to do. But yeah, but the word the word gets in the way. So how would you how would you tell people what they're really dealing with so they don't get scared? Right, so the use case for transclusion is, is like you have some 
component in your application. And I think the canonical example of something like that would be like a tab bar with a tab component. So you have a component that sets itself up as a tab with, with its own template that sets up the various elements and, and attributes that are needed for a tab. But then you want, as the user of that tab directive, to actually provide the actual content that goes inside the tab from outside. And what you do there is, you, you, in your HTML, you, you type in the tab element, and then inside it, you nest whatever HTML you want to go inside the tab. And the way you can make that work with Angular is you can have this directive tab that has its own template, but then you can specify this transclude option on the directive, which gives you the possibility to um, get the um, HTML that was nested inside uh, where the directive was applied and put it somewhere inside the template of that directive where you want it to go inside somewhere in that tab's markup. So it's essentially just like passing in an argument to a directive which happens to be a bunch of HTML uh, or a tree of DOM nodes. And that's, that's really really what it is. And uh, yeah, I, the API gets in the way and the word gets in the way. But as a concept, it's really, I don't think, that, that complicated. And it's, and it's very useful in many scenarios. Right. So if I have a page and it's got rainbows and unicorns and bunnies on it, and you, I want to have those in separate tabs, you're just saying I write those. And then the goal is to, to move bunnies into the to the bunny directive and so forth, that kind of thing? Exactly, yeah. And, and in Angular 2, I think... The, the same is, is, is accomplished with the web component standard where I think you have, was it called content tags or something that's in the, actually in the standard where you can say that I want to, to uh, shift this content from the component user to inside the component to, to this location. So it's really a concept that's useful outside of Angular as well and it's in, in the web component standard just not by that name. So if people want to dig into the compiler and see where all of this stuff is implemented so that they can understand better how it does this stuff... Mm-hmm. Where do people get started? I mean, do you just open up the compiler JS file, or is I haven't really yeah, you, you can uh, do that. Somebody's recently given an awesome talk that explains this. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can open up that file. It's just it's it's really scary. I think something like fifteen hundred lines of JavaScript code plus another thousand or so of, of documentation. It's it's by far I think the biggest thing in the whole Angular code base and. Uh, it's really kind of dense code, and I've spent several months kind of exploring it myself. And I not, wouldn't necessarily re- recommend doing that to anyone else. But yeah, I, I did a talk about this at, at NG Vegas and, and before that at NGNL in Amsterdam, where I essentially introduced the kind of most kind of fundamental parts of the compiler from the ground up, which, which hopefully will give someone who's interested in that some pointers on how to get started with that. And there's a whole kind of treatise on, on the compiler in my book, which I think there's about 300 pages on Compile.js in that book because it's so big and so complicated. And I, I think it it's, makes sense to spend a lot of time time on that because it's hard to understand and it's, it's really central to, to how Angular works. How deeply do I need to understand it in order to be able to write it effectively, uh, write directives effectively, the kind that I would normally write, not something exotic, but, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I, do I really need to know all of that stuff, uh, Tara, or is there a, a straightforward way for me to do the straightforward things? Not necessarily everything I don't think to, to, to be able to use, say, something like components or something like that. Because, you know, it would be a really failed abstraction if you, everyone had to understand all the implementation details in order to use it. And I don't think it's that bad. But um, 
when you get into trouble, when it doesn't behave like you expect, when, when something isn't working or you get an exception or just something isn't being applied, I find that having insight into how it works gets you into those kinds of problems a lot quicker because you can actually think about what's going on there instead of trying to formulate the, the Google search for the symptoms and then trying to find find out about what's going on. So it's it's really a trade-off between how much headaches you you have been getting from the compiler as you've been doing Angular development and whether spending time learning the internals would actually kind of help you save time during your day-to-day work. That, that's, that's at least the reason for me. And uh, I found that I can solve problems much quicker when, I, when I'm doing applications, when I know how the thing I'm using is actually doing what it's doing. And as a bonus, you get to use all these kind of esoteric features that aren't documented now, and you can, you can kind of do things that most people don't even think of doing because they're not known that well and, and, and doc- not documented that well. Well, that kind of reminds me of something that we kicked around several months ago, which is, uh, and I think, Lucas, you, you raised the question that within a directive, there's a compile phase and a link phase, and almost all of us spend all our time just thinking about the link phase, and we couldn't come up with really very many great I- reasons to use the compile phase. You got any uh, insights on that? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever, in any of my applications done anything really in the compile phase. I, I, I think the only reason you would be interested in that is when you have to do some DOM manipulation and you want to save some cycles uh, when in doing that in compile phase because when you have like an ng-repeat or something, you get compiled once but you can get linked several times, for example, for each item in some array for different clones. So when you want to kind of manipulate the DOM, you can do it just once before the thing gets cloned, so you can save some a little bit of time there, so performance reasons, really. But outside of that, yeah, I don't really see, see any point in doing anything there. Okay, I'm going to ask you a forward-looking question. We know that Angular 2 is coming, and it's going to be different. What kinds of things, but, but I mean, they're going to have a kind of Similar, they have similar constructs in Angular 2 to try and cope with uh, the same kinds of tasks that we address with a directive. What are you hoping to see in terms of capabilities that are carried forward, and what are you hoping to see in the way of simplifications? So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to have this component style, and I know it will be carried over to Angular 2, and it's kind of being reified as, as a kind of real, kind of top-level construct, the component. And I really hope to see a lot more of that as well. Like the things that are already in the directive API but aren't the API isn't isn't good enough or something that's too hard to use that people don't use them as much and get those kind of streamlined into kind of separate things that are understandable and not all kind of, of piled into that single configuration object. So I really most of all I'm looking forward to having the current features in a in a nicer package because I think you can do pretty much everything you we would want to do with the current API. It's just some of it is, is too difficult. So that's my main hope for Angular 2. Well, I'm also looking forward to, to the actual kind of digging into the, the source code of Angular 2 as well, because I, I'm interested in, in that. And based on what I've seen so far, it seems that it's going to be a lot easier to do that for a couple of reasons. One is that it seems to have 
been actually designed in the code right now, whereas the current version is just sort of like grown over the years with features being added to the same file, which is the reason it's ended up in the state that it, it is currently. So, for example, the compiler in Angular 2 is is this whole subsystem of tens of different classes that have different responsibilities that actually are well-defined. So you can actually think about feature-like templates in isolation of everything else. And the second reason is that it's it's in TypeScript. And whatever you think about of, of TypeScript, uh, one thing is that it makes reading code a lot easier because of the type annotations that you have in there. So when you look at a function inside the, the Angular code base, you can see its arguments and its return value, or the types of those, right from the function signature without having to dig into the function implementation and try to figure out what this function is supposed to return and what it takes, which is what you have to do with ES5. Well, that's a good observation. So I guess you know what your next book is going to be inside uh, Angular 2. Maybe. <laughs> I, I, hope that, I hope the quality of the code won't be too good because then everyone would understand it without having to, to buy a book. But buy it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, you can have a pamphlet. I have one like completely sideways question for you. You said that you had spent a lot of time in Clojure. How does that inform your thinking, and is there any relationship in your mind between what's going on in the Clojure world and what's going on in the JavaScript world? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that could, the, especially in the JavaScript world, that, that the Clojure world could inform, especially right now with what's going on with what David Nolan is doing with the Ohm library for Clojure Script which is a React wrapper and that, that has a lot of like big ideas based on immutable data structures and, and things like that. And actually just, just today I was, I was watching the, what they're doing right now, integrating GraphQL and uh, kind of pool-based queries into the Ohm library. And uh, what I immediately thought about was that I, I want someone to do this for Angular 2, like have query annotations on components that would actually declaratively specify what data an Angular component needs and have the system kind of pull that in using something like Relay from the server. I think it's just begging to be implemented, something like that. And they're doing that in ClojureScript, in, in Ohm. And uh, just more in general, like things like immutable data, which is going to be a possibility for us to use in Angular 2 applications. It's, the Clojure world is all about that. And, and they're, they've been doing that for years and they, they have, they're building kind of substantial web applications now all based on immutable data. And I'm really looking forward to exploring, bringing those things into, into Angular 2. It's not really practical to do that with Angular 1. Yeah, that will be an interesting, have an, immutability will have an interesting effect on the, on the style in which we write our applications. It's not so much what's in Angular 2 some, as it is in, in terms of how we think about arranging things, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the whole kind of architecture of forcing you to do one-way data flow, for example, because you can't do mutation within components. You have to go to the root and things like that. It'll, it'll completely change the way you, you architect your applications. And uh, I'm liking what I'm seeing them do in the, in the closure world, especially with Angular 2 and, and the way the components work there. It would be a nice fit, I think. So one more very technical question, uh, Taro. Put your thinking cap on. What is the hottest place in Finland? Well, <laughs> hottest place in Finland. Well, right now it seems to be my apartment because I, I don't have air conditioning. And it's, it's pretty hot here, here right now. 
I was going to say the sauna, but I think we just said the same exact thing. So, <laughs> well done. Yeah, yeah, we all live in saunas. In Finland. <laughs> I think that's the only thing we really know about Finland over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we do have angry birds and, and things like that that we're really proud of. Awesome. All right, should we do some picks? Lucas, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. So I'm going to spite everyone, and uh, I'm actually going to choose Tarot's book as my pick, Build Your Own Angular JS. I uh, purchased it, and it is a treasure trove of information. It's actually quite, quite large, and so I've just been kind of going through it uh, buffet style and, and picking out the pieces that I like. But it's very well written, lots of, of good examples and, and kind of meat to, uh, to dig your teeth into. So uh, well done, Tarot. Nice. Thank you. All right, Joe, do you have some picks for us? You bet. I'm going to very quickly pick the U.S. women's national soccer team. Chuck, if you were hoping to pick that, sorry, buddy. I know. That's why I hate going last. But (laughs) Yep, they uh, won the Women's World Cup. They're awesome. And uh, I cannot say enough good things about them. And then I'm also going to pick a TV show that was on TV quite a few years ago. It was, it's called Better Off Ted. You can find it on Netflix. I think it only had one season, but it was awesome. Hilarious show. If you liked uh, Seinfeld, The Office, Arrested Development, Parks and Rec, those kinds of quirky humor shows. And it's particularly appealing because it's set in an office space where they develop all kinds of things, uh, do a lot of research and development, and it's a nice quirky uh, humor sitcom. Very funny. Love watching it. Just some hilarious episodes. So that's my pick. And I thought you watched Alf and Three's Company. So that tells <laughs> I watched those two. Oh, there goes Ward dating himself again. Uh-huh. Ward, what are your picks? Actually, I wanted to watch the Howdy Doody show, but that's, uh, that's really going back. Um, actually, uh, I'm not going tech today. I'm going to pick... Inside Out, the movie, the Pixar movie, which I was surprised by how intelligent and funny and thoughtful that was. I don't happen to have an 11-year-old uh, daughter in my life, but I thought there were real insights into what's going on as, uh, as children mature and what happens to the emotions. And it's actually based on some real science in there, and yet it never fails to be entertaining. I hope there's something in there for kids, because for an adult, it was very strong. So I don't know how many of you have seen it, but it's definitely worth your money. Yeah, I enjoyed it, too. All right, I've got a quick pick. I got some headphones a couple of weeks ago, and I just, I really like them. They're the Blues 2 Aftershocks, and they've got the, I don't know what you call it, like the headband that goes behind your head, and that part I don't particularly love, but it holds the pads in place for the bone conduction, their bone conduction headphones, and so they sit right in front of your ear, and they sound great, and I really like them, so... I'm going to pick those. They're not particularly cheap, but they're really nice. So that's my pick. Taro, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, yeah, I have a couple of picks. One is um, an old essay by, by Paul Graham called Programming Bottom Up, which, in which he writes about Lisp and, and the fact that Lisps are these kind of extensible programming languages. And, and what happens with, with them is that when people write applications in Lisps, it's... Uh, they don't just write their applications in Lisps, but they actually write DSLs by using the extension features of the languages 
that give them sort of higher level languages in which writing applications is easier. And what you end up doing is you kind of co-evolve two things, which is your application code and the DSL in which you write that application code. And, and the reason, my, reason I'm picking it is because I think we have that too in Angular kind of. We have directives which give us an extensible DOM. So what we can do, what I often find useful to do is when I'm writing a new feature for an app is I, I go into the HTML and just dream up the kind of perfect elements and attributes and events that I hope existed in HTML. So that would make writing that feature really easy. And then I, when I've done that, I kind of go into the other side and implement the directives that make that dream HTML a reality. So I think that, that the kind of idea from Lisp that you can do with macros applies kind of well to what we can do with directives in Angular. And my second pick is a book I recently read called Flash Boys, which is about high-frequency trading. And it's kind of this, uh, reads like a thriller almost. It's, it's about the fact that really trading, stock trading is, is not done by traders directly anymore. It's basically computers talking to each other. And it goes into how people exploit this by uh, gaming the system, by doing things like co-locating their computers with the computers of the uh, stock markets to, to gain lower latencies and things like that. It's, it's kind of really scary stuff and really enjoyed reading it. And those were my picks. All right, super cool. Well, um, if people want to know more about you or your book or anything else that you're working on, do you want to let us know where all that is? Sure. So so everything is on my on my website, taropa.info. Uh, that's, that's my blog, and I have have the link to my book page in there, and I have the link to my Twitter and GitHub and everything on that website. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, thank you all for listening. Leave us a review on iTunes. We'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 